you would please uh, open in the Bible to Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23 on page 808. We're continuing our series on um, the book of Matthew. I'm trying to set this little timer. Went off last Sunday during uh, one of the highlights of the service. Uh, so I'll set it today to help me to be sure to end on time. Um, it was a um, it was a great uh, great service last week. We'll have a chance to think a little bit about that. We'll be continuing our series in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, with your Bibles open to Matthew two, would you please stand? Beginning at verse thirteen. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, please send your spirit upon us this morning as we open your word. We pray that you would please give us grace that we might be able to hear your voice, Father, as you speak to us. That we might believe you, obey you, and rejoice in you. For your son's sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, once again, last Sunday was a very special time for MetroCrest. It was the first Sunday of Epiphany, and we marked the occasion by welcoming our friends from Hope Korean Presbyterian Church who meet in our building uh, every Sunday afternoon. They'll be over there uh, later today. And one of the highlights of the service, I'm sure you'll agree if you were here, was when a, a ladies' ensemble came forward and led us all in singing It Is Well With My Soul in Korean. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to watch and, and to actually join in. We joined in singing in Korean. Ne yong hon pyong an hai. Ne yong hon, ne 
Yong Han Pyong on High. It was simple enough that even I could follow along, and beautifully, beautifully done by the the, the lovely ensemble. It's a beautiful hymn. I, I love it as well with my soul. It's a beautiful hymn, and I got to say, I've never heard it sound more lovely than last Sunday when these nine sisters in Christ led us in singing it in their native language. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see, and I, I'm sure if you were here, you will agree. Well, um, interestingly enough, what we're going to be thinking about today, in a funny way, connects to last Sunday's Epiphany Sunday's celebration, uh, and I hope by the end of the service you'll see why, uh, but... Um, As we look at Matthew's gospel, as we've been following through chapters 1 and now chapter 2, we're finishing up chapter 2, and uh, this is the conclusion of what is sometimes called the the, uh, birth narrative, recounting all the significant details of Jesus' birth, uh, the details that Matthew wanted to share with us. Some of them are unique to Matthew's account. He alone, for instance, tells us about the wise men. Uh, He alone tells us about... Uh, some of the details we're going to read this morning. Uh, These are details which Matthew recorded for a particular reason. Uh, I'm convinced they're absolutely true. He didn't make them up to make a point, but he records them to make a point, and he records them in a certain way to make an important point that he's going to be making all the way through the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. And as we study it over the next several months, we will see again and again and again how Matthew comes back to this central unifying theme which runs from chapter 1 of his gospel through chapter 28 of his gospel. Matthew has a point that he wants to teach us. And this morning I'd like for us to pay close attention to what he wants us to learn. Now this concluding section of Matthew's gospel has three sections. uh, The flight to Egypt... Herod kills the children, the return to Nazareth. That's the way the ESV editors divide it up. I'm going to call it Egypt, the Innocents, and finally Galilee and Nazareth. And I think you'll see as we go along that, my goodness, Matthew really does have a point. And it's well worth our time this morning to learn about it. Let's look first at Egypt, verses 13 to 15. Now, when they had departed that is the uh, wise men, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt. So said, Matthew alone records uh, these details about this part of Jesus's life. Uh, It's very important that uh, to Matthew that we understand uh, Jesus and his family went to Egypt. Uh, And it's significant, some of the ways of thinking about it, it says here that uh, the angel told Joseph to take the child. Uh, We've seen this before. The word child, pation in Greek, usually doesn't refer to an infant, a baby. It usually refers to an older child, maybe as much as one or even a couple of years old, uh, a young child, a a boy in this case, a a pation. Uh, a child, a boy, not a baby. It's in contrast to Luke chapter 2, verse 12, uh, which is another famous birth narrative, where we read about the angel talking about a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, a baby. That Greek word is blephos, 
which was the Greek word for infant. And by the way, brephos, that same Greek word, also meant fetus. So the same Greek word meant infant and fetus. So it's a reference to Jesus as a, as a newborn baby, a brephos. But Matthew here uses a very different Greek word to describe Jesus in Matthew chapter 2. Not brephos, but pideon. Jesus was one or two years old. Something like that. It took a while for uh, this news to make its way to Joseph and for them to figure out what to do and for the wise men to figure out what they were going to do. And so the Lord actually appears to Joseph in a dream. The Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. That's interesting. Uh, That an angel of the Lord appeared to him in this dream and tells him what to do, to go to Egypt. Um, Has anybody in the room been to Egypt? Anybody been to? Okay, several people have been. I've been to Egypt. Uh, In fact, one of the joys of my life in ministry has been that providentially God got me involved early on in my life with a ministry called Arab Vision. And I've I've been to Egypt several times, and it really is an amazing experience to go to Egypt. Uh, For one thing, there's there's a part of Cairo, Egypt, called Old Cairo, which is actually the most Christian part of Cairo. And it's built there among Roman ruins, some of them very ancient Roman ruins. And tradition in the church there in Egypt is that Jesus and his family, when they fled uh, Judea, they came to Egypt and actually came, they believe, to old Cairo. And that may well be true. That was certainly a population center, the kind of place someone uh, in a refugee status might go. They went there, and there was a large Jewish population in, in that part of Egypt, uh, then called Memphis. And so they very likely did go to that area. It certainly makes logical sense. And if that is so, it's, it's mind-blowing to me to think uh, that the things that were there in Cairo 2,000 years ago are still there, many of them. Uh, Old Cairo, as it happens, is just across the Nile River from Giza. And Giza is where you've got the Great Pyramids, the oldest, some of the oldest structures built by man that are still around and still visitable. They're there and they're well known. They have been for millennia. In fact, if you think about it, when Jesus was in Egypt 2,000 years ago, the pyramids were as old to him then as Bethlehem is to us now. They were thousands of years ago that uh, the pyramids, they were older than Bethlehem is to us. So it's, it's not unlikely that when Jesus went to Egypt, he very possibly looked out on some of the same things that we see when we look out across the vistas there in Egypt. It's an ancient land. And so here's an interesting connection of Jesus and the world in which we live. Some of the same things we see or he saw. Jesus was a real person and he lived in real time and real space. But, of course, that's not the main point, of course, uh, that Matthew's making here, that 
That wasn't a point really worth making 2,000 years ago. Uh, what is the point that Matthew is making? Well, there, there are several points to be made. Uh, it speaks of the reality of Jesus' birth. Uh, it speaks of the violent hatred that Herod felt towards Jesus, who had come, the wise men said, to be king of the Jews. He hated the idea, and so uh, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph and warned him that it was important to, to leave, to flee, and they departed by night and remained in Egypt until the death of Herod. So it, it, it speaks to all those things. It underscores the reality, the brutality of the Lord's uh, birth and life. But actually, Matthew says all this happened, verse 15, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. That's interesting. I mean, of all the different things that Matthew could emphasize, of all the different aspects of Jesus' birth and his life that Matthew could emphasize, he emphasizes the fact that the angel sent Joseph and Mary and Jesus to Egypt so that he could come back to Israel from Egypt. I mean, you just think about it, that's, that's, an, that's a lot of work. Uh, weeks of travel, hundreds of miles to accomplish the return trip. It was the return trip that Matthew emphasizes in this conclusion of his birth narrative. We'll, we'll circle back around and, and think about why is that so important? Just a couple of things to point out. Um, I mentioned a couple of times in Matthew chapter 1 there were several uh, parallels between Matthew chapter 1 and the book of Genesis. Uh, the word Genesis, for instance. The word Genesis shows up in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. Um, and then, of course, Matthew describes Jesus' genesis, his birth. The geneseos word is where we get the idea of birth. Uh, so, Genesis chapter 1 has a lot of parallel to the book of Genesis, including things like the genealogies of Jesus. Uh, Genesis is also full of genealogical records. And so it's interesting that Matthew includes in the first chapter of his gospel um, Jesus' genealogical tree, his family tree. So that, that's, that's striking. Um, and now, interestingly, here in these three different passages we're going to look at today, what we're going to see is if Genesis, sorry, if, if Matthew 1 has parallels to Genesis, Matthew 2 has parallels to the book of Exodus. And we'll see that in Matthew chapter 3 as well. There are these parallels. It seems as though as Matthew records the facts that truly happened, he's arranging them in a way to make a connection to the Old Testament. Matthew 1, Genesis. Matthew 2, Exodus. Now what happens in Exodus? Well, Exodus opens with, well, Joseph. <laughs> 
which is interesting because here's Joseph in, in uh, Matthew chapter 2, another man named Joseph. But in Genesis, uh, sorry, in Exodus 1, we have, we have the Joseph of the book of Genesis. We have Jacob, his father. We have, we have the story of how Joseph went into uh, Egypt. That's recorded in, in, in uh, Genesis, that, all the details of that story. But Exodus 1 opens in reference to all that. And it's Joseph who's there in uh, Exodus. He has died in Egypt. And they're preparing to bring his body out of Egypt. So this, the reference that is given here, if you look at uh, the uh, Old Testament reference, Hosea, out of Egypt I called my son. That Old Testament reference is referring not in the first instance to Jesus, but to God's son, Israel. That's, that's what's going to happen in the book of Exodus. God is bringing his son Israel out of Egypt, out of bondage. And so Matthew seems to have that in mind as he concludes the birth narrative of Christ. This, this connection between Joseph, who, by the way, had lots and lots of dreams. Nobody has more dreams in the New Testament than Joseph. And I don't think anybody in the Old Testament had more dreams or many more dreams than Joseph. There are lots of dreams in the Old Testament. Joseph had a lot of dreams. He was an interpreter of dreams. Well, here in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's making the interesting point that Jesus' human father also had dreams from the Lord. And that's what we read about here. This, this flight to Egypt was actually all about the return trip. Out of Egypt I called my son. Now there's another parallel here. Look at the second section. I've called this the innocence. The ESV editors called it Herod kills the children, which is very graphic. It explains the whole thing. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, the wise men, became furious Evil kings often get furious at wise men. Evil rulers often get mad at wise men. He became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Now that is an unbelievably brutal story to read that, that uh, all these children, these Little boys in this whole region were killed because a maniacal evil king was mad at Jesus. Didn't even know Jesus' name, knew nothing about Jesus except that he lived. But that was enough. And Herod wanted to kill Jesus so bad that he sent his soldiers to Bethlehem and into that region and killed all the boy children. Now, I'm not an Old Testament scholar, but I did attend Sunday school. All right? Those of you who have been to Miss Gwynn Sunday school, those of you who have gone to Sunday school, strain your brains for a moment. Think of another situation in the Bible where an evil king killed all the male children. Exodus 2. In Exodus chapter 2, 1 and 2, 
Pharaoh gets the news that the Jewish people are becoming so numerous and so powerful, he sends orders to the midwives to kill all the baby boys because he hated the Jewish people so much because he was so afraid of them. I mean, once again, it's, it's hard to miss, even for a non-Old Testament expert, that Matthew's making a point. You know, oftentimes we, we project this story to our times. Immediately, we just come directly to our times. And that's not a hard stretch. Uh, we live in a time that, that does not value life. We also live in a time when there's maniacal government and that in, in all kinds of ways devalues human life, including the lives of babies, including the lives of, uh, what's the word, brepha, brephos. The unborn, the most vulnerable. We live in a society, you know, some people get really mad at the moms and the dads and the families that opt for abortion. Um, I actually feel great compassion for the moms and the dads in those situations. Many of them are poor. Many of them have few options. And all of them have been fed by our culture. This idea that life is of very little value, especially babies, especially the unborn. They can be viewed almost as an inconvenience, something to be dealt with. And a lot of these young people are fed this story, and, and many of them fall prey to it. Did you know that this weekend there were approximately 5,000 abortions in the United States this weekend? based on the findings of a pro-choice organization. About 5,000 children, babies, Brefoy, were killed this weekend alone. Our society, like Herod, like Pharaoh, displays a, a, a disregard for life. And brothers and sisters, it seems to me, in some ways, it's gotten worse. In some areas, in some places, it's honestly gotten worse. It's gotten more difficult for families to choose life. That's one reason I'm so grateful for Human Coalition. That's one of our partner ministries. They're going to be here next weekend, God willing. They're coming to church next Sunday for Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. We will have representatives from Human Coalition because what Human Coalition does is they're not a political group. They're not a, a group that goes out and, and uh, pickets and does things like that. They come alongside needy people, moms and dads, who have few other options, no one to talk to, family who will often not deal with them. Human Coalition is there in Christ's name to minister to humans to love them, to care for them. So it's a holistic ministry. It's not just about picketing. It's not just about some political issue. It's about people, human beings. Brefoy, showing love to them. And I'm very, very grateful for the partnership of Human Coalition. And come next Sunday prepared to hear a lot more about our little church involvement in that ministry, including our youth group. So we, it's, it's easy sometimes to spring from this page to today. And I, I've heard really powerful sermons on the slaughter of the innocents, the killing of the children as, as a, an example of what 
precedes the kind of intellectual and philosophical and spiritual turmoil that we have today. And that's worth thinking about. But that's not what Matthew was focused on. Matthew wasn't projecting forward to us, although that's a legitimate thing to do. He was actually projecting backwards. He was was projecting something that happened in Herod's day around the year 6 BC or so, scholars think, something that really happened, but which he shows is connected significantly to something that happened in Exodus chapter 2. Under Pharaoh, hundreds and hundreds of years later, in the time of Moses, when, when Moses was born, Pharaoh killed all the children in Egypt. But Moses was spared in the River Nile in Egypt. Moses was spared. And that little baby, Moses, grew up and became a unique instrument of God in the life of Israel and through Israel in the life of the world. Moses was the one who led Israel out of Egypt. Literally, he led them out of Egypt as God's appointed person to lead Israel out of bondage, out of judgment, out of, out of the, the horrors of life as a slave. It was, it was Moses whom God appointed to do that. So you, you see, Matthew's making the point that there is a significant connection between Jesus, who came out of Egypt... And Jesus who came out of Egypt, Moses who came out of Egypt, Jesus who came out of Egypt. There's a connection that Matthew is emphasizing. There's a connection between Moses who was delivered and whose life was preserved for a purpose and Jesus who was delivered and whose life was preserved for a purpose that he's going to go on to tell us about. There's a significant purpose that is even more important, even more amazing than Moses. By the end of Matthew's gospel, well, we'll be breathless in wonder at how God brought all of this together. Now, there's one more section uh, that we should look at, and that's called uh, Return to Nazareth. I've called it Galilee and Nazareth. Look at verse um, 19. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph. Joseph had a lot of dreams. Well, this one came to Joseph in Egypt. And the angel said, rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who sought the child's life or dead. That, the same thing happened in um, in the book of Exodus, uh, there, was, there were changes in pharaohs. There were changes in situations. Moses is actually adopted into the home of Pharaoh. Uh, that pharaoh dies. There's a change. So verse 21, Joseph rose, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. So we see here that the purpose of Jesus going to Egypt is about to be fulfilled. Jesus is coming from Egypt as a little boy, maybe two, three, four years old, a 
Perhaps he remembered it growing up. Perhaps he didn't have very clear memories. But here's Jesus as a child, still, coming back to Israel. But it says in verse 22, when Joseph heard that Archelaus, that's Herod's, evil Herod's evil son, Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, uh, Joseph was afraid to go there. And being warmed in yet another dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. Now, pause. (laughs) If we were Old Testament scholars... If we were Old Testament scholars, all of us would be scratching our heads. Wait, what? Galilee? Because the thought was when Israel was led out of bondage, they would come to this land of milk and honey. They would come into the possession of the whole land. Certainly, certainly someone fulfilling the role of a Moses, you'd think, when he re-enters Israel, the new king of the Jews, the Magi have told us. You would think that new king would come to his capital, Jerusalem. The hustling and bustling center of Jewish life. The place where the temple was. You would think that the king, that's what Christ means, you'd think that the king would come to the capital, wouldn't you? Certainly that's what Old Testament scholars at the time thought. Regardless of where he was born, the expectation would be the king would be in the kingdom's capital, Jerusalem. But that's not what Matthew says happened. He went to the district of Galilee. Now, we're so used to that word, it doesn't really shock us very much. But Galilee was like the, well, it was the 'er ne'er-do-well border zone. I used to love going down to do mission trips in uh, the border of Mexico in, in the south, uh, down uh, the, the border area in, in Mexico in the United States. There are actually zones that it's an it's a area with a lot of refugees. It's, it's a fairly poor area. Uh, it's, it's an area with, with all kinds of stuff going on. In fact, a few years ago, we were getting ready to send a mission trip down to the border area down in Reynosa, Mexico. And uh, we got word that it was completely unsafe to go because the drug cartels were having shootouts. It's not a safe area. It was, it was far, far from the center of Jewish life. Uh, President Biden just got around to going down to the border zone recently. And it's, it's not a place that that people necessarily feel like they want to go there. Galilee had that reputation. Galilee was a place where there were a lot of foreigners. Uh, we're not sure if there were how many there were relative to the number of Jews. They're looking at archaeological evidence, and I've I've heard everything from a majority of Gentiles to a significant minority of Gentiles. But it was it was an area that was Definitely a border zone. It was not the center of life. It was literally at the edges. It was at the margins. And then in Galilee, there were actually a couple of cities of some size. Capernaum was one. There were other cities. One of the largest cities, the largest city in Galilee is not even mentioned in the Gospels. But the city in Galilee that's mentioned was the most insignificant city in the most insignificant area, Nazareth. We don't know a whole lot about Nazareth. Nazareth doesn't show up very much. In fact, it only shows up in the New Testament. 
It was not a city that had an enormous amount of historical significance to the Jewish people. Nazareth was, a, was a, just an out-of-the-way place. As a matter of fact, one of the most striking references to Nazareth comes in the Gospel of John. You may know the quote, John chapter 1, verse, verse 46, the uh, apostle Philip uh, tells the apostle Nathaniel about Jesus, and Philip tells Nathaniel that Jesus came from Nazareth, and Nathaniel, who may have been known as Bartholomew in Matthew's list, but Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was unimaginable. It was, it was the most out-of-the-way, obscure, unimportant place in an un, unimportant region. So why does Matthew conclude his highly significant birth narrative with this detail that Joseph went to, of all places, not Jerusalem, but to Nazareth. Why is that significant? Well, once again, uh, we have a little bit of an explanation in verse 23 when Matthew records that it was spoken, that this happened, uh, so that what was spoken by the prophets, plural, might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, in uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 15, out of Egypt I called my son. That is a well-known quote. Uh, that comes to us from Hosea chapter 11, verse 1. Uh, and then the quote that we read in uh, Matthew 2, verse 18, is a very, very well-known quote. Uh, it comes from uh, Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 15. The context is set in uh, Jeremiah 31, 1 where God says, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel. And then in, later on in the chapter, in verse 15, he says, A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Weep, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Uh, the picture here is the prophet Jeremiah talking about not the death of the children in Moses' day, which seems to be on Matthew's mind. But he's actually speaking here of the death of these people from Judea and Israel who had been taken out into captivity and had died. Even though God was to be their God, the God of all the clans of Israel. Jeremiah 31 and Matthew chapter 2, verse 18 are pointing towards the death of children of Israel who died. But this verse, in verse 23, this was spoken by the prophets uh, that it might be fulfilled. Well, there's not a verse that says these words. It's interesting. There's lots of scholarly debate about this. Some people believe it might be a reference to uh, the Nazarite practice. Being a Nazarite was a certain kind of vow. Uh, some think it might have a reference to the idea of a root, the root of Jesse, uh, the root of the word Nazareth is connected to this idea of a, a root and, and their references to Jesus being the root of Jesse. But you know what I think is actually going on here? I think what 
Matthew is saying is he's summing up the prophets. He's not quoting them. He's summing up what the prophets say. What do the prophets say? The prophets say that the Christ will suffer. The Christ will suffer. He will suffer as Israel suffered. The Christ, the the suffering servant, his life will be characterized by suffering, suffering with a purpose. Suffering with an important purpose, a God-given purpose. And this idea of Nazarene, just like Philip said, just like Nathaniel said, the Nazarene, that means a, a suffering servant of utter unimportance that's rejected. What, can anything good come out of that place? Matthew's, I believe, choosing a word and a way of thinking, a a certain kind of prejudice built into their culture to say that Christ came to be that, to fulfill that. His whole birth, his whole, the beginning of his life, his whole genesis was preparing him for this uniquely important role. And Matthew is going to go on to show us as we pick up next week in chapter 4. We dealt with chapter 3 back in December. So we're going to pick up with chapter 4. And we're going to see more and more how Jesus represents that Israel. The fulfillment of everything Israel was supposed to do but didn't do, Jesus is going to do. And that's why Matthew writes these words down in this way. I think that's his point. He wants us to understand the significance. Not just a series of interesting episodes in the life of Christ, but episodes that teach us something. Episodes that, if we will pay attention, will help us understand who he is, what he has done, and why it matters so much. Let me close quickly with a word or two of understanding and explanation. I'm over time, just quickly. Um, understanding. If we don't understand who Jesus is and what he came to do, if we just look at these as interesting anecdotes from Jesus' life, and we look at it that way, we're going to have a, a diminutive understanding of Jesus. We're going to possibly have a distorted view, and we're certainly going to have a diminutive view. We're not going to get it. That Christ did far more than live out a few interesting experiences. His whole life fulfills a divine purpose. Matthew wants us to know that. So we want to be clear on this. Part of what it teaches us is that in faithfully completing what Israel did not complete, Jesus becomes the perfect Israel who is now able to represent Israel where Moses failed and, and the, the kingdoms failed and the, all the prophets pointed towards the failures of Israel, Jesus is the perfect Israel. And by being the perfect Israel, he is able to be the perfect offering. You see, it's not enough that Jesus didn't just, he, he didn't sin. That's extremely important. That's part of his being the perfect sacrifice. But to be the perfect sacrifice, it was important that Jesus not only not do bad things, it was essential that he do the right things. 
He could only be the perfect sacrifice if he was the perfect Israel. So what from Matthew chapter 1 through Matthew chapter 28 we're reading about is that Jesus is that perfect Israel. You and I, sinners that we are, we can now lean on the perfect Israel. In fact, through Jesus, we are brought into the perfect Israel. We're adopted in. That makes us thankful and it should make us hopeful and confident. It should give us courage because that's the Jesus we're reading about. That's the Jesus we worship. And then finally, a word of application. What does this have to do with what we do today? Okay, we're thankful, we're grateful, we're confident. Confident to do what? Well, the fact that Jesus came back to Israel, not to Jerusalem in the center of life, the center of the Jewish religion, he actually came back to what was called several times in the Old Testament, the Galilee of the nations, the Galilee of the Gentiles. Jesus was led back to this border zone, this regional area, the margins, in order to give you and me a model of what we're called to do and what we're called to be. Matthew chapter 28 concludes in Galilee. That's where it concludes. The Matthew chapter 2 here in verse 19 is Galilee. Matthew chapter 28, the last verses are on a mountainside in Galilee of the nations. And Jesus tells the disciples to do what? To go into all the nations and make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Now, you see why it's significant that last Sunday we were in this room with people from a different nation than ours. Many of them are American citizens, but many of them came here from a different nation. And our little worship service, yes, last Sunday, our humble little worship service here on the margins, Carrollton's not Jerusalem, Carrollton's not Washington or New York, Carrollton's nowhere that anybody much cares about. But here in Carrollton, there was a little tiny demonstration of what God sent Jesus to do, which is to unite the nations in Christ. I think it's significant that this is Martin Luther King weekend. Uh, I'm not an uncritical fan of Martin Luther King, but I'll tell you this about Martin Luther King. I believe with all my heart he was a Christian brother who saw the need for American Christians to repent of racism and all the foolishness that divides us, Christian against Christian. Martin Luther King said that Sunday at 11 is the most segregated hour in American history. American culture is 11 o'clock a.m. on Sunday morning. Well, part of our mission is to reach out, to proclaim 
this good news that's been entrusted to us and to do it without regard to nationality or ethnicity or language, to reach out in the name of Jesus Christ who was raised in Galilee of the nations, Galilee of the Gentiles, who was raised there a nobody in a no place, to take that saving gospel to a desperately needy world that is divided and polarized, where people hate each other because of the color of their skin or because of the language they speak, who are, who are alienated from one another and alienated from God. I can't think of a better way to keep the principle of Matthew chapter 2 better than seeking with all of our heart to do more and more and more of what we did last Sunday. Showing Jesus' love to whomever God brings through our doors, wherever they are from, whatever the color of their skin, whatever their language, to welcome them as Jesus has welcomed you and me. And that's what we're going to learn more and more about as Matthew teaches us.